When I first contacted Joy Hare about doing an interview, she was in Costa Rica volunteering with the Orchid Ladies. A family therapist for more than 40 years, at 75, Joy now works part-time as a life coach and consultant, often weaving in art and poetry to help her clients tap into their own creativity. Her parents named her Barbara, but several years ago, she decided to go by Joy. It was a step toward healing after a difficult time in her life. I'm Diane Atwood from Catching Health. You're listening to my special series, Conversations About Aging. Joy, who lives in Bath, Maine, began our conversation by explaining why she changed her name. My, um, my given name was Barbara Ann back in the... Back in the day. <laughs> day. But um, when I moved to Bath, or when I got divorced um, from my children's father of 35 years, the judge asked me if I wanted to change my name, and I thought, oh, change my name. And so um, I had been on a vision quest to study Native American. It's a long answer to your question. Sorry, okay, Diane. Um, study Native American spirituality. And um, I got a name given to me called Joy Walking Tall. And so when the judge asked me, I said, I can change my name? He said, yes. So I changed it to Barbara Joy. And a lot of my clients that I was seeing in Portland at the time couldn't quite get used to it. But when I moved to Bath, I very intentionally said, I want to be called Joy. And just taking that name has, I think it's helped my, you know, my positivity or my, my attitude, if you will. It's, it, it kind of lifts your heart. I mean, when you... I remember when I was in Spain and, and somebody um, yelled to me in, in Spanish, Joy, which, which is Alegría, and I looked down this cobblestone street and think, oh my gosh, that's my name. Yeah, they know me as Joy over there. Was it a hard transition for you, though, personally, after having been called Barbara for all your life? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, because this wasn't until I was in my late 50s. So Joy is a new name, and and so... You know, I, this house kind of was a lucky find with a very good realtor, and I I feel very joyful in it. And I try to, you know, I put some of my paintings on the walls and just put things around that give me pleasure. So your your environment is filled with joy. It is. It really is. Yeah. Um, you were born when? Forty three. 1943, my father was across the globe in the war in the Philippines. And um, I, my very first childhood memory was him coming home and not knowing who he was. And he wanted to kiss, and I thought, I'm not going to kiss a stranger. <laughs> but he's, he's been a big influence on my life. He was an architect, and uh, he, he was one of my first art teachers. He taught me perspective. So that was kind of cool. Cool. Has he been gone a long time? Yeah, he um, died in his late 80s, and um, I remember being in his office. He was had his own practice, and I remember asking him. I still have to sit at his drafting board, and I said, Dad, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And I said, can girls be architects? And that was back in the 50s. And my father was pretty macho. And he looked right at me. I remember he made direct eye contact. He said, Barbara, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. That's the message I got 
from a you know a macho father, and I think that that's you know that helped me. I mean, I started I was a guidance counselor in Bucksport for a while, but I started a private practice out on my own, and was very successful. Had a really good practice in Portland as a counselor. As a as a counselor, yeah. And was your husband a counselor at that time too? Because you said yes. that you yeah, had... yeah. Do you mind talking about this? You were telling me about it before. You were married for 35 years, divorced. You had another relationship. I was devastated. You can add that. You were devastated? It was like, you know, who am I now? I remember feeling totally devastated. And then my high school sweetheart that I had so much unfinished business with, my father would not let me marry him because he was... Catholic and Italian, but he he was the love of my life and Actually still is but we were together for seven years and we realized that we had We hadn't seen each other in 40 some odd years and we had you know grown in different directions and uh, It wasn't gonna work, but you tied up all those loose ends We tied up most of them, but I still dream about him. I Still dream about him the first one was more um, devastating, I think I would use that word, because he was a womanizer, and he was a womanizer for a great long period of time while we were together, but I hung in because I thought, you know, I had this model of my parents stayed married. I mean, your question, do you think you'd be where you are now when you were younger? I always thought I would, I would you know, be with the same man just like my mother was and we would grow old together and live happily ever after. And forgive us of all, all of our sins, right? Right. And so, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very deeply spiritual person and I think that's one of the reasons that, that pushed me. I mean, really getting into Native American spirituality. I, I love the Native American spirituality and their embracing of nature and you know, grandfather, grandmother, mother, mother Earth, Father Sky. I mean, it just all came together for me, and I think that that really that that helped me at that juncture when I was devastated. I was so devastated, I was, I was suicidal, and I couldn't believe that I, a therapist, and I can remember saying to my uh, mentor, supervisor in Portland, should I still be? meeting with clients and he leaned forward on his in his chair and he looked me in the eye and he said are you still showing up and i said yeah he said do you have any idea how much that means okay and you got through and i kept showing up and yeah so then then john my high school sweetheart finds out that i got divorced from a sister who lives in western mass still and and we got together and it was, I felt like I was 15 again. I mean, it was just this, I'd say 10 year period of my life that I have no regrets about, you know. I, I knew, I mean, he wanted to marry me way back then, you know, and he was very passionate Italian, very romantic. Um, and, you know, we enjoyed that romantic part for a while and then the reality set in. So when that marriage ended, what was your frame of mind? Uh, very sad. 
She was living in an isolated part of Maine at the time, although she says she didn't feel isolated because she loves nature and she loved her surroundings. But as she grew older, she knew she wanted to live where she wouldn't need to use her car to get anywhere. She chose Bath. She can ride her bike into town, hang out with friends, make art, write, work in her garden. Joyful things. She also changed her perspective on her therapy practice and now calls herself a life coach instead of a therapist. In the last, I would say, five or ten years of my working as a licensed psychotherapist, um, I got into uh, becoming very interested in art and um, Jung and symbols and uh, so I, I, I now do, when the need arises, I will work with people in my studio who have been told that they, um, in kindergarten, that their work is horrible. The teacher holds up their work and says, don't do it like this. And I hear all these kinds of stories. But that's kind of like talking to people and people that are going into retirement saying, oh, I wish I could I wish I could create, and I would. And so the kind of work I do, I coach them to create, you know. And I so I tell them a few things in the studio, run them through a few non-threatening exercises, and then invite them to play with the paints. So that's how you do the coaching. You, you don't just sit across from people and have them tell you, or you do both. I do both. It depends on whether a person is interested in creativity, or a person comes and wants to work on a dream, or a person comes and wants to um, be uh, supported in a decision, in a transition, in a choice. A big theme, I think, is, especially if you've been active, and I'm a type A personality, I have a lot of things going on at once, and I've had to accept and adapt that I can't do as much. And how does that make you feel? Do you get frustrated by it? Um, at first, until I could um, speak with a friend about it, and she said, well, you know, I feel the same way. I'm, and, and it's really hard to accept that I'm not, I don't have as much energy as I used to have. How do you want people to talk to you or to treat you now that you're older? I want them to talk to me. Do you find that they don't sometimes? Well, in some groups, um, I can see that there's an assumption set up that, you know, she's older, so we don't have anything to talk with her about. But I find myself in those kind of situations talking to them and, and seeing, you know, asking them questions about themselves just to let them know. You know, I may have um, gray, silver hair, but I, I still am interested in young people. And so when you start that kind of a conversation, does it usually work? Do they become engaged? It usually does. I, I do notice that I'm, I'm asking more of the questions. I'm, I'm, um, but on this, this trip to um, Costa Rica, where I was with a young person in her 20s for a month, and then another young person, I... I was thrilled because they were appreciating who who I was. In fact, the the person who's going to do my webpage, she said, "Joy, you do so many things. You're fluent in Spanish. You're, da, da, da. you know, you paint, you write, you, you know, you life coach people." Um, and to have somebody in her thirties recognizing me, acknowledging me, I can feel 
the difference in, in my body. I feel lighter, I feel brighter, I feel younger. Do you think it's a cultural thing because you were in another country? No, because both of both of these people, one of the the women, uh, the in her twenties, was from England, and the other one was from San Diego, which is a very sophisticated area. So that's very affirming. So, do you ever try to act in ways that will influence how people see you? Um, yeah, I think probably riding my bike. I'm sure there are a lot of people look at me and think, oh my God, I hope she doesn't fall off or, you know, but, um, and I'm not doing it so much for other people. I'm doing it for my leg muscles because I don't, once I, I love to walk and once I lose my leg muscles, it's going to be a lot different. So it's true what they say about the importance of getting regular exercise. Yeah, I walk at least a mile or two every day. Do you ever feel lonely? Not very much. Not very much. The only time I think I feel lonely is wishing that my sons were more in touch with me. That's the only time, really. What makes it a good day for you? When I wake up in the morning and I realize I can lie in bed for another hour and not have to worry about it because I don't have to work until later in the morning. Um, when I've accomplished something that I've wanted to accomplish, I do find at this age I, I have to make myself lists so I don't forget details. Um, a good day is, is being able to be outside and take in something of nature. Um, walking into town, connecting with people that way, being reminded that I live in a town where I can walk in and people know who I am and call me Joy. Um, it's a good day when it can end with just being a total vegetable. <laughs> when I asked Joy if she had any advice to share, she said, move and read. She's been reading books about aging since she was in her 50s and says they've been helpful. One that she recommends is Ageless Soul, The Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy by Thomas More. There is one point in this book that I wanted to lift up to you, and that is what he has to say about depression in older people. Because he goes way back to the Middle Ages when they used to use the word, um, I'm going to forget it, um, melancholy. He says, is it really, is it depression or is it melancholy? And then he says, of course you feel melancholy. Of course you feel sad. You're not as young as you used to be. And, and that's, that's something that's been going on since time began. And I don't know, just reading that, it jumped off the page at me like, because I was having some moments when I got back from Costa Rica where I was just feeling sad and I felt like, oh, I'm getting depressed. What's wrong with me? And then I took this book out again and started reading it and read that again and it just helps. Is there anything I haven't asked you? Oh, no, but I love your question. Oh, I'm glad. My last question is, is there something that you'd like people to know about you? Wow, that's a huge question. Oh, last stanza of my poem, Over the Hill. I'm gonna give you this, I'm gonna sign it. It was called Heartbreak Hill. When I ran 6K races in my younger years, I always made it to the top, although it became more of a challenge. Ah, the sweet relief of heart breaking free, chest relaxing down the hill, 
coasting towards the finish line. The early, earlier decades kept me pushing toward that uphill like a developmental must, a midlife thrust. Then along came a different kind of heartbreak. The realization that gradually, without wanting to notice, walking instead of running became the mode up that same hill. No more running for me, but hey, at least I'm walking. I'm still walking up Heartbreak Hill. You've been listening to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I've been talking with Joy Hare, who is 75 and lives in Bath, Maine. To see pictures and learn more about Joy's recent trip to Costa Rica and her work with the Orchid Ladies, visit catchinghealth.com. While you're there, you'll find other conversations about aging and lots of blog posts about health and wellness. This podcast was made possible by our sponsors, Avita of Stroudwater, a memory care facility, and Stroudwater Lodge, an assisted living community, both in Westbrook, Maine. You'll find out more about them at northbridgecos.com. Many thanks to Smith Atwood Video Services for editing the podcast. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com. And a thank you to Tom Muser for his support. He's director of the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health at the University of New England.